Welcome to the Baby on the Brand series, where we interview prominent Canadian businesswomen who have achieved a high level of success. We're not only focused on where they are now, but how they got there in the first place. We talk about the lessons they learned, the struggles and rejection they experienced, and the way they pivoted and used change as an opportunity to create the disruptive, unique, and powerful Canadian brands we know and love. We hope that this new series will inspire young and new entrepreneurs as they step into the entrepreneurship world and build their own successful empire, paving the way for their own revolution. Get inspired, feel empowered, and get to know the babe beyond the brand. Many of us have envisioned what our own families might look like. Growing up, we talked about how many kids we wanted, we picked out their names, and if we wanted to be a boy mom, a girl mama, or both. And for some, getting pregnant can be simple. As the saying goes for many of our friends, my husband just had to look at me and I'll get pregnant. Now, wouldn't that be nice for the rest of us trying to conceive? This babe has become a fertility coach in the hopes of helping other women who are struggling because she too has faced the IVF cancellations, facing baby showers, and seeing those oh so exciting pregnancy announcements. Yeah, okay. And through her own fertility journey has discovered clarity and acceptance. Since 2019, she's been supporting others facing fertility decisions and navigating primary and secondary infertility and miscarriages and other fertility loss. Please welcome fertility coach, Laura Spencer. Hi, thanks so much for that warm introduction, Holly. Hi, Laura, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing good. I know that you're out in Vancouver, so you've got much warmer weather than we do. Although I have been looking around Canada because my husband and I are like desperate to go somewhere for a trip. Um, although I don't think we will be doing that because everywhere it seems like is cold. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's all relative. Like it's a few degrees above normal here. Or sorry, a few degrees above zero. So is that warmer than Ottawa? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely warmer than what we've been experiencing. We are like in the negative 30, sometimes like negative, like minus 35 to 40. It's been really, it's been a really cold winter. I have not been leaving my house at all. Like I will take Vancouver weather with the rain any day right now over, over our oh, weather. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So Laura, I have been super interested about fertility for so long. Like, um, I, we have a, a child of our own. She's going to be two years old. And I have to tell you, I mean, for us, for the first pregnancy for us, it was really easy. It was, you know, and, and it was crazy because my husband was living out West. Um, so we were trying to track my ovulation around long weekends. So he was living out in Alberta. I was living in the Ottawa Valley. I was like, okay, so let's look, uh, when I'm ovulating, I had no clue what I was doing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to download this app. I'm going to track when I'm ovulating and hopefully it happens on a long weekend when you're home and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We were very fortunate that it did, that it did happen very quickly for us. You know, it was a real eye-opening experience for me in particular, realizing that not every every person has an easy journey. And so I think that it's made me more mindful, it's made me more aware, and it's made me more understanding to other women. Um, so can you kind of share a little bit about your own fertility journey and what made you want to become a fertility coach in general? So for me, I started off thinking like everyone else, you know, it's going to happen really quickly. We're going to you know, get pregnant relatively right away. One of my sisters had already had a baby and it was really fast and thought, okay, no problem. Didn't really think that much of it. And then month after month, 
okay, this isn't happening month after month. And then years go by and it's just, yeah, we started to investigate. What is this? What is, what is going on? Did the fertility testing. And then we found out I have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and my husband, my husband has male um, factor infertility, severe male factor infertility. And so other than looking at donor sperm, which we, we did investigate, um, we, we found out that it was actually going to be quicker, potentially, and fast, uh, faster and, you know, more efficient if we did IVF, which we, you know, it's not, it's not a, an easy decision mm -hmm. to jump into that, but it was the right decision for us. So we went into that and it's, it's a roller coaster ride. I mean, obviously getting to that point is such an emotional roller coaster ride, but for, for us, yeah, we had no idea. We didn't have people around us who had gone through it, at least not right away. And I was an open book from the start. I would tell anyone who would listen, like, what is, you know, this infertility thing, this is so stressful. IVF, what is that? And, you know, slowly starting to, you know, learn that my, my dentist had been through it. My hairdresser had been through it. So starting to like put together some community. And also like the turning point for me was that I had already started to um, do my certification for, for coaching. It was for something completely different. But as I was going through my infertility journey, I was realizing all these tools that I'm learning from coaching was really helpful, you know, to get clarity on my decisions. Cause a lot of it is, you know, decision-making and you're so emotional and you're, you know, you're all consumed by these fertility thoughts that you just need to get more clear on like what it is that they need to do, you know, get that mind-body connection going as much as I can. And yeah, it kind of clicked for me. And then I realized this is so challenging. I know it's challenging for other people. And so, you know, yes, we ultimately had success with IVF on our second round. We have a wonderful son from, from, that, um, from that round. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And I realized, you know, at different stages, it's challenging. And so what I provide for my clients and, you know, anybody who, who wants support that, you know, you can, you can do so much more than you think you can do. And I'll be there like alongside the whole fertility journey, you know, whoever, whoever needs it. Um, so I've been really, I've been really grateful to be able to do what I'm doing. And I think, we need more of us. I think there needs to be even more fertility coaches out there um, with the with the skills and kind of the resources that that we have. It's a different way. It's a different approach as a certified coach to be able to to support people. And yeah, I I, I love what I do. <laughs> That's amazing. Now it's funny that you said that. Uh, we need more fertility coaches out there because when I'm looking on Instagram, I feel like there are so many, but there's a lot of different types, right? Like there's holistic, there's emotional support. And I know you kind of touched on a little bit about what you provide, but um, what makes you different and stand out and what can clients all expect? Well, I think, I mean, Firstly, there aren't a lot of Canadian fertility coaches. I mean, even out West here, there, there are very few. And everybody provides something unique and beautiful, and that's wonderful. Um, you know, I personally don't know exactly what it is that other fertility coaches do. I don't, because I, I'm not their clients, so I can't get that sense in particular. But, I mean, all I can say is I, I, I love what I do. I see results from, from my clients and I'm happy to see that, but I don't know how I necessarily stand out other than partly being Canadian because there are a lot of 
American fertility coaches, a lot of American fertility coaches. And they're wonderful. There's so many wonderful coaches, like from what I can see, you know, just even on social media and what, what they're providing. That's all I can, that's all I can judge it from. But it's they're just obviously lots of big hearts out there because they've all been through it too, you know, they've been in the mm-hmm. trenches or are in the trenches. Yeah. Now, who would be the ideal client, Laura, to receive fertility coaching? Well, that's the thing. There's so many different stages of the fertility journey. So it can be somebody who is just considering whether they even want to have children, considering, you know, when to start trying and what to look out for before they start trying or what to consider before they start trying, or they have been trying and it's not working or they're deep in infertility and in exploring fertility clinics and treatment options, or yeah, they're, they need some support going through something like, like IUI or IVF, um, exploring surrogacy, um, exploring what it is to be childless. There's so many different stages of the fertility journey. Um, and of course, including that transition into, into pregnancy and whether they've been through or are going through a loss or a previous loss, because that's a whole different experience when you go through that, mm-hmm. um, other than, you know, just starting off on your, on, you know, without any prior pregnancy. I also work with people who are parents trying to build their family um, with, with another. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk about understanding your body and your period. Now, we all know that it takes more than the common perception of, okay, I think I'm ovulating. Let's try to make a baby. Although, like I said, that does obviously happen for women. But what are the signs, Laura, that women should be looking for when trying to conceive through this very, very small fertile window? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, like I'm not a medical doctor, you know, so I come with that caveat. Um, But when you're looking to conceive, everybody has a different approach that works for them in terms of, you know, how regular are their, are their periods? Um, Is it a lighter flow? Is it, is it a heavier flow? So there are signs to look out for, you know, you know, to consider if you do need to explore, you know, some testing or looking into whether, you know, you might have issues or that are kind of standing out in terms of your, your period. Um, but in, but to make sure you're getting at your fertile window, you know, some people even do the, you know, have sex every couple of days, you know, there are def- there's definitely a window where you are more fertile before you ovulate, you know, if it's like, say a 30, 30 day cycle, it might be around day, day 14, not everybody ovulates on the same day and not everybody's period is, you know, like clockwork. Um, so sometimes trying to time it, some people say, you know, consider having intercourse every second day. And of course, we're talking about heterosexual people have the, the body parts to do this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every, every, every second day, that's something that some people try. And then once you know you're out of your window, you might take a break um, because, you know, after you've been trying for months after months, sometimes the sex can, you know, it, it changes your relationship to, to the sex. So yeah, sometimes people take a break once they know they're out of their, their fertile window. Yeah. And well, one thing I've noticed for myself is that I have really learned to look at, and I mean, I'm getting in there looking, touching, feeling, and understanding my cervical mucus, because that plays a big role as well, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's like one of like the wonderful um, byproducts of going through the fertility journey in this way is that you do learn to connect with your body a bit more than you probably ever thought. You know, some people take their, their, um, their basal temperature. Yeah. You're, you're checking out your mucus, seeing if it's the right consistency. 
Um, and some people can actually feel when they ovulate, you know, there's like a, there's like a feeling. So it's really individual to the person and what they're choosing to focus on and what they, they have noticed about that and others, they don't and, and that's okay. And they choose to, to use um, other means, you know, or don't think about it. And like, let's just stick to this kind of schedule. Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so individual. That's so, yeah, that's one way is to really connect with your body and understand what is it that happens every month for me? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I never thought I'd be one of those people that would be examining my cervical mucus as much as I have. But, does, uh, right? <laughs> I know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about progesterone, Laura? How does progesterone play a part? Yeah, so that's, you know, known to be one of the fertility hormones um, along with estrogen. So your, your ovaries produce that. Um, it's something that often plays a role if you're going through fertility treatment, like say an IVF or a donor, um, don't, uh, a donor adopt, um, what's it called? Sorry, embryo adoption route or donor egg. You know, if you have an embryo that's frozen, then often you're, you're put on progesterone to kind of help support, um, the development. That said, your if you do go on to have a, a pregnancy, your, your, your body will be producing that naturally, but your placenta eventually um, will be producing it for you. So you usually only, if you do need to take a progesterone to support that pregnancy, um, it's usually only around like eight to 12 weeks, about 10 weeks there, um, where you take you know, oral medication or vaginal suppositories, or sometimes it's an injection. Um, and then there's also people who do have you know, a uh, history of loss. And there are obviously lots of different routes you can go with that. Um, but some people do go on progesterone to support that pregnancy. Um, that said, quite often the case when it is a miscarriage or a chemical pregnancy, it's because of the embryo itself um, and not because of the progesterone. And the research is still out whether that support, that, you know, that's a, if that is gonna be effective for the individual. Um, but that's definitely been around for a long time, like taking some, um, progesterone su supports or medication of some kind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Now, another thing that I want to talk about are ovulation tests. Now, if my husband sees any more ovulation tests, like I think I have more ovulation tests than I do pregnancy tests around the house. And I want to talk about that and how accurate they are. And also, Laura, can we just also bring out the fact that why do COVID rapid tests look like ovulation <laughs> I know I know it's so not fair is it it's very triggering for a lot of people it is when I see a positive I'm like oh this is not no no I know it's not the same so much body fluid going around yes <laughs> yeah yeah no I know yeah so ovulation strips and tests and things like that that's something you know it depends it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying it's how comfortable people are and what they want to know like what information do do you want to know um so taking the ovulation test is definitely one way to see you know is it your window are you in that window some people love it some people hate it um some people say is it is it working for me some people will go and and use the the strips themselves and then go get a, a test you know from their from their doctor and find out you know, whether it's accurate or not, because before then you don't, you don't really know, but there are lots of people who use ovulation strips and kind of have that peace of mind that, okay, I can, I can use that to monitor. And it's just one more thing I can feel kind of more calm, like, okay, this is, this is happening. I know I'm ovulating. It's giving you a bit more comfort in that way, but yeah, it's, it can be a lot. So when you add it all together, like, you know, the, the, the ovulation strips and the pregnancy 
tests and yeah, it, it, it can be a lot of steps and you can be all consumed with fertility. So for some people they're like, you know what, let's, let's not do that part of it. You know, we'll, we'll just assume that we are and we'll listen to our body's cues instead. And then if you need to get to the point where, yeah, maybe you need to have a blood test to kind of check on your, your levels to see if you did in fact ovulate. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the options, ovulation strips, yes. Yeah. Now, do you find that the Dollarama ovulation sticks work just as well as if you were to get uh, the ones from a pharmacy or from your doctor? Some people do. Um, I mean, there is, there is a, there's definitely a spectrum of quality and I would say the Dollarama type of ones are on the lower end for sure. Um, but again, it's like, it's individual for the person. Um, you know, you may be putting it in a cup as opposed to peeing over the toilet that's, you know, there are different, there are different things you can do to kind of make it work a little, like to make it sure it's, it's not, or make sure it's effective as possible. Um, but yeah, Dollarama would be on one end of the spectrum for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the lower end, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. All right, Laura. So we've confirmed now that we're ovulating and we've gone on a multiple sex spree. So how can we relax and not get caught up in the dreaded two week wait? Oh, I know, right? It's an, it's the emotional roller coaster. So that's the two week, you know, period where you're, you know, you've potentially conceived and you're waiting to take your your pregnancy test. And yeah, there's so it, again, that's so individual how you manage that weight. So for some people, that's all they're thinking about is like, you know, am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? And, you know, you have to act as if you're pregnant. Pregnant in terms of making those healthy choices. Um, but yeah, there, then there comes the overthinking of it, you know, and being consumed by those thoughts. So there's a lot of different like tips and tricks to, to, to manage that. But a lot of it is about being in the moment as much as possible, being present, because if you're, you know, wherever your attention is, if your attention is in what you're doing or who you're talking to, then you're not in your head thinking, you know, we can't have our attention really split that way. So that is one way to, to, um, to manage that time and to be in deep flow. So find something you really enjoy and you're really, again, deep in, deep in, in your, your attention is deep into um, maybe reading a good book, you know, something that's addictive that you're really enjoying, you know, um, what's going to happen next. And instead of being all up in your, in your thoughts, but yeah, it's the two week wait can be very challenging. Yeah, it's, it's, it's normal. It's common. It is. It's so difficult. My gosh. I mean, just trying to find a, a hobby or something to focus your attention on, like you said, Laura is, is key, but uh, I know we just have to hold off from getting those pregnancy tests and, uh, and actually waiting until, uh, until closer to our period. Um, but actually, this is actually another question for you. Why is it necessary and important to actually wait, Laura, and not test during the two week wait? Yeah, so it's the HCG that the pregnancy test is kind of picking up. And so, you know, the more far along, the more likely it is to be accurate and giving you like the, the positive, like there's the HCG, there's the, the positive strip or whatever, you know, whatever test you're doing. So if you can wait at least to when you, you would be, you know, predicting to, that your, your uh, period would arrive, it's better to wait until then because you're more likely to see it. And if you, you know, if you test too early and it's negative, you know, that doesn't feel good. There's that disappointment in the what if. So, you know, if you hold off 
um, until it's probably more accurate. I mean, obviously it's more likely if it's positive, it's positive, much more likely. Um, but yeah, if it's negative, it's the, the letdown. But you know what, that, you know, lots of people test early and that's okay if that's what you need to do. You know, if that's gonna stop you from overthinking and just do it, you know? But again, again, it's it's so individual what, what's right for, for you and in that particular cycle and that can change too. I know that I can speak from experience, you know, even testing early and with an early pregnancy test, I, I still was, was pregnant testing with a, a, an early pregnancy test that still said negative. So, I mean, it's just torture. It's just torture. It's just sometimes really, really better. Although it's so hard to wait until the day of your missed period. It's just, honestly, it's just better for your mental health and your anxiety and everything just to kind of hold off until then. Although easier said than done though, right, Laura? Absolutely. <laughs> like so much of this, right? Now, why does it seem to take some women just one or several cycles to get pregnant? And what are some reasons why maybe some women might be having a harder time getting pregnant? Yeah. So this, I think, you know, when we're, we're kids and teenagers and, you know, growing up, we think, you know, when you want to get pregnant, it just happens. There's, it's, it's a bit of a myth or a misnomer that it's going to happen quickly for for most people, because it, it it doesn't. There's only you know a small percent chance, especially especially considering what age you're at, of you conceiving every every month. So yeah, there's this expectation. So every month you're going to have a certain number of people you know who who do get pregnant, and then in the next month another percentage who who do. Um, and then of course there are the people you know in Canada it's one in six who are going to experience infertility. So that's if you're 35 or older and you've been trying for six months or longer, or if you're younger than 35, then a year. Um, and then, you know, it's time to probably get checked out. And it could be that you might be diagnosed with infertility. And sometimes it could be even unexplained infertility where they don't know what the root cause is. Um, but even before you're at that point, there can be indications that you might um, you might have trouble, like if you do have very, you know, severe um, pain when you get your period, extremely heavily flow or very, very light, maybe, you know, and, and too short. Um, if there's a history of, say, fibroids in your family, um, you know, there, there are so many, there are a lot of, of signs that you could have issues, but, you know, often you, you don't think, you don't know of that or you you still try on your own first before you start to explore, you know, maybe I should be talking to my doctor about this. Maybe mm -hmm. there's something going on. Some people just have a gut feeling too. Like, I think it's just, it doesn't feel right. Like something isn't, you know, something doesn't feel right here. But I hear that too. I hear that too. Well, I kind of want to touch on your own fertility journey there too, Laura, when you mentioned earlier about having PCOS, because um, I'm seeing more women actually being open about PCOS and their own fertility struggles with that. Um, can you kind of share a little bit about what PCOS is and how you ended up discovering that uh, you were, is the correct words to say diagnosed with PCOS? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't know, I mean, I knew my period was a little longer than average, but I was still getting a period. Um, so for me, I met the criteria because it was longer and by doing an ultrasound, they did see these like kind of pearls around my, my ovaries. Um, and so one of the biggest concerns with PCOS is that you either just aren't having, you're not ovulating at all, or you're ovulating so infrequently. So your chances are 
you know, you, like you just don't have as many chances in the year, right? So when we talk about, you know, trying for a year, let's say that I'm talking about like 12 chances there, right? So if you don't have 12 chances, it's not quite the same. Um, so yeah, there was an indication in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I did. I mean, I've since found out like both of my sisters have PCOS too. And so that's also an indication if you have say a sister and they do as well, then that might be more likely that, that you do. So yeah, for, for me, um, I was ovulating and I was getting my period. It just wasn't as frequent. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't realize it was genetic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not uncommon to have it in the family. Well, I've also heard Laura that acupuncture can be considered as a possible treatment to help with fertility. How so? Can you explain this to me? Yeah. So with acupuncture, a lot of people try that at different points, you know, whether they're just starting off and they want to relax. And a lot of it is about the blood flow. This is definitely not my expertise because I'm not an acupuncturist, but I'm sure there'd be someone who could explain it even better, but it was a lot about like the, the blood flow and getting that going in you. Cause you do want to have a certain amount of um, blood flow in your uterus to be able to have that wonderful kind of sticky environment for the, um, the embryo to uh, form. Um, and then there's just the relaxation element of it. Uh, you know, most people do it. They find it very, very calming. It gives them that very much like a, the mind body connection. And they feel like they're really connected to, to their body and, you know, I, I definitely don't want to claims like relaxing is going to get you pregnant, but you know, we don't know. And that's, that could be an element of it that it's just, it's really relaxing. It gives you what you need in that moment. Um, and yeah, and it's a common thing to add to fertility treatment, like an IVF or an IVF cycle or IUI cycle, um, in particular laser acupuncture. Um, and you know, some people are like so freaked out by needles that, that wouldn't relax them and they don't think that would work for them. So then that's not an option for others or they're open to that and give it a try. Um, yeah, and obviously there's often um, employee benefits that are insurance that can cover, which is great. So give it, give it a try. And usually you have a, um, a set number of um, sessions before you might start to see results. But yeah, no, it's a great option. We have so many more options than we ever did in the past. So that's, that's definitely one of them. Have you had clients that have had success with acupuncture getting pregnant? Oh, that's a good question. Not acupuncture alone, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was always interested about that because I, I see that that's popping up more and more that more women that are struggling with infertility will go and uh, will and go and seek acupuncture services. And so I was always interested about how that plays a, plays a factor in your, uh, in your fertility journey. Yes. No, it's a great option. And it's becoming more and more common for sure. Whether mm -hmm. yes, prior or during treatment. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Laura. So now we're on whatever month it is, maybe, you know, cycle number, number seven, number 12. How can we make having sex fun again with our partner without making it feel like a chore trying to conceive? Yes, I know. It really changes over time, doesn't it? Um, I mean, for some people, they do need to take a break. So a break on the fertility journey can be like anywhere from, oh my goodness, that is the last thing I could ever do. There's no way I'm taking any sort of break to, you know what, I'm going to take, I've, I've, I've heard um, of people taking up to like a year break, like completely, because they've just really had this negative association with sex because of the stress involved. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it depends what's right for you. Um, it could be a short break. It could be a month break. 
could be, yeah, up to a year. I mean, whatever, um, whatever you need. And it's a, an individual journey. And also, you know, maybe changing it up, like where you do it, maybe <laughs> different positions. Yeah. Say that, you know, there's, there's this myth that like, you know, having to do it a certain way or style, no, that doesn't matter. Um, so, so just switching up, having a little fun, you know, having the, the discussion of fertility not happening in bed, kind of keeping that um, just for sleeping and just for sex, but trying sex elsewhere, you know, you know, have a little fun with it. Talk to your partner about, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's something fun that you want to try to spice things up? Because yeah, change it up, change it up. Because it can get a bit stagnant. <laughs> it can. And your partner can almost get like, not to say annoyed, but, you know, kind of tired of hearing, you know, saying, okay, well, I'm ovulating today. So we have to do it at least twice. Because I know that that was happening with my partner. He was like, okay, Holly, I know you're ovulating. You've been, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing all the boxes out in our recycling bin. Like, you know, can, can we just make it fun again? Like, let's not feel like it's a chore or a hassle that we have to do it. You know, we can, we can just spontaneously have sex like we used to. And you kind of get away from that when you've been trying for so long and you're starting to track and, and you're watching your cycle to be like, okay, now this is when we have to do it. And you have to, I know you have to kind of take that step back to remember how your partner might be feeling too, because the last thing you want to be is stressed and put pressure on yourselves, um, you know, just to make another reason uh, that might be a contributing factor to maybe why you're not getting pregnant. Yes, and absolutely, it's really common to be on different pages with your partner at different stages of the fertility journey. So not only do you have your own, you know, demons and, and stresses involved and, you know, all the work involved, but yeah, it's common to be on different pages with, with your partner and, you know, having discussions is important and having your own emotional support, you know, individually and as a couple, yeah, that's, that's key for sure. And something we often, we often forget. All right. So now we're in the process that we've made it through the two week wait. We've peed on a stick and I think we see a line. Maybe not. Maybe we do. We threw it out and now we're coming back and oh my gosh, is it an evaporation line? Laura, what is that? And why should we be talking about this more? I know, I know it's so cruel. It's kind of like you're talking about with the COVID test. So, you know, why, why does this happen? Um, so it happens because either you've kind of waited too long and, you know, you waited more than like the say two or three minutes that you're supposed to wait to, to check on it. Um, and it's the urine that's evaporating. So usually it's a different, a bit of a different color. Um, so if you want to kind of avoid that, you could put your pee in a, in a cup and make sure that it doesn't splash and get in the wrong spot. Um, or you could make sure that, yeah, you're not, you're not digging out of the, the garbage later, you know, two hours later to pick it up and, and check. Cause then, yeah, then it's just giving you kind of false hope that it was a positive if it was in fact a negative. I know it's so cruel that they, that they have that. <laughs> I know. I find that there are more on clear blue tests than, uh, than other ones because I, it's, it's torture and we're all, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of throwing the test out, going back in the garbage and looking, looking, you know, in different rooms, different lighting. Oh, it's the worst, but I know it's, uh, we have, we have to stay away. Once we throw it out, like put it at the very bottom of your garbage, take the garbage out, do whatever you have to do. Don't torture yourself through that. Don't torture yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I yeah, I know the feeling it's hard not to do some of these things, isn't it? All right. So we've seen that faint line and now we have confirmed that we have a positive pregnancy test, but Laura, now we're starting to spot and maybe a little bit of bleeding in early pregnancy. When should we be worried? 
Yeah, so nothing is more stressful than bleeding in pregnancy. And the thing is, is like most often it's, it's going to be a healthy pregnancy, you know, m- most often. And of course, that doesn't mean all the time. Um, so there are times to, you know, give it attention. Um, like if it's spotting, you know, that's old blood and maybe less so, but monitor it. Um, but yeah, if it starts to get heavy, that's when you start, you know, pay, pay attention to those signs. And if it's really, really painful, um, you know, it's time to just take a trip to the, to the ER just in case, you know, it could be ectopic or a molar pregnancy. Um, you know, chances are it, it's, it's just part of the process and it's going to turn into a, a healthy baby. Um, it could be a, a hemorrhage um, that again, I, I had that in my early pregnancy that turned into a healthy baby. It's very stressful, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it could be fibroids, it could be polyps. It could be irritation from medication. So for example, I went through IVF and I had a frozen embryo transfer. So I did take, you know, vaginal suppository so that can, can uh, irritate the cervix. So then that was, that could have been part of the reason why I was bleeding or why someone is, is bleeding. Um, but yeah, if you're experiencing that and it's just light, you know, first lie down, try to take some nice deep breaths to relax, make sure you're hydrated. You know, if you're connected to a clinic, give them a call. If you're connected to, you know, say a family doctor uh, clinic, that's who you're, who you're seeing. They often have a line you can call just to, to check in. But if you're at all concerned, you know, run to the DR, p- peace of mind, right? Just, just in case. Um, but yeah, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more stressful. And often, you know, if it is, it is, it, it does kind of, it carries on or you're not sure if, if, uh, if this has passed, this is a, a loss. Um, often if you're attached to a fertility clinic, for example, they'll be able to, you know, bring you in to have an ultrasound if it is past the six weeks mark, um, or if it's prior, they'll probably have you come in to get more blood work done. And again, they might do that too, if you're, you're not attached to a fertility clinic, just to, to check to see, because peace of mind, right? And it depends on your history. If you've had a mystery, a history of loss, and that's a whole nother ball game in terms of, you know, triggering that, that memory. Mm-hmm. So you know, gentle with yourself, um, do what you need to do to, to get through that time, because yeah, it's, it's stressful. It's stressful. Now, one area of bleeding that you didn't mention, Laura, that I wanted to touch on was implantation bleeding. And I've actually read this is okay. Now, this is just me reading on Google that implantation bleeding is actually very rare. It's not really that common. Is that true? I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure how true that is, but it's definitely something when someone bleeds, it's, it could definitely be implantation bleeding for sure. For sure. I don't know how common it is. I don't know. But yes, that's usually what we say, like that, that could be part of it. Yeah, I missed that. But exactly. There's a list for sure of all the different things it could, could be. And that's one of them. Yeah, no, yeah. you definitely touched on a lot more there. That was just, that's the only one really that I was even aware of. No, no, good point. Yeah. <laughs> now, what is a chemical pregnancy? And because it's deemed, and I hate saying this, it's deemed as a non-viable pregnancy, which is medical terms, obviously. So what does this mean and why should it, definitely be still considered a real pregnancy. And I'm using air quotes when I say real pregnancy. Yeah, for sure, Holly. I mean, that's the thing is it's like, there's the medical terminology and sometimes the medical terminology is just like, what? Like, it's just for the medical reason, right? And it's not for what's right for us. So if it's a pregnancy for you, it's a pregnancy for you. 
you know, it's a loss is a loss, no matter when it happens and it matters what's right for you. And there are definitely people who get pregnant and in their head, they're like, I'm not going to acknowledge this pregnancy until I'm X weeks along. And that, you know, whatever's healthy, obviously they're making healthy decisions and they're not doing anything unhealthy. That That's fine. It's whatever you have to do to, to make it through. So yeah, a chemical pregnancy would be if it's before the, you know, a heartbeat has been seen, say on like an ultrasound. Um, so before that point, you know, it would be considered um, a chemical pregnancy if there, if there was a loss at that point. But yeah, exactly, it's a terminology. So it's a pregnancy to you, if it's a pregnancy to you. If that's, if, you, if the positive means that to you, it is, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause when I heard about the whole non-viable pregnancy, I know that we have to put a term on it, like a medical term, but it just, it's heartbreaking because it basically, to me, that just sounds like it didn't exist. It wasn't real. And, exactly. yeah. Yeah. and until you go through it yourself, you don't understand the pain that is associated with that for the, for the woman. Oh, for sure. You've, you probably have names trying to get picked out. The due uh, date's there. You're thinking about yeah, how much sex is it going to be? Like there's your hopes and dreams in there. Yeah. It's so much more than just, yeah. I, I, there's so many terms where I'm like, oh, why do we have that? You know, geriatric, geriatric pregnancy. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so many that don't get me started. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. So Laura, another thing I want to talk about that actually a lot of women don't talk about is the jealousy aspect when trying to conceive. So I'm, I'm talking about scrolling on social media and seeing those never ending pregnancy posts, you know, being invited to baby showers and not really wanting to be there because you only wish that you could have a baby in your belly and, and wish that you might, you know, be able to take pictures with all the other pregnant moms and stuff. And, um, I just think that this is something that so many women relate to, but yet a lot of us don't want to admit that we're jealous or that we're upset or that, you know, we're, we're concealing our, our, our grief and our emotions, you know, of, of what could be for us. So what advice or words would you say, you know, to help us get through those moments? Absolutely. It's really easy to compare, you know, um, it's triggering, right? It triggers something within you that says, you know, they have what I want. And, to be really, you know, open and honest with yourself about what it is that you're going through, naming that, like naming those feelings, naming what it is, you know, why is it that that's triggering for you? You know, it's it's grieving the loss of what you wanted or what you had in the past. You know, it's it's so much more than that. And taking the time to really acknowledge the feelings that we have, taking the time to give ourselves what we need is so important not only you know are we worth it for ourselves but also then we can kind of make more clear decisions because a lot of these things you know everything along the fertility journey is about decisions to be made and to be feeling more well going through this and so if we can take the time to to do that you know it makes us you know people who can be more supportive of others because exactly you never know what other people have gone through and even when you know, even when you go on to have success and you have a baby, like you need support there too. Like we, we don't grow up in our villages like we used to. And so we all need support. So we can come from a place of love and understanding and compassion. You know, we can tell ourselves like their success is not my failure and we can be there for each other because yet yeah, you never know, you know, that person who have five kids over there, what their story is of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was rounds of, IVF, maybe it was multiple losses. You just, yeah, we have no idea. 
It's so true. I know. Laura, I feel like you should add therapist on top of your coaching <laughs> title because you're just giving such good advice. You're so warm. You, you're, you've, you've got all the right answers, it seems. I'm sure your clients are very appreciative of, uh, of you for sure because I'm already feeling that just having this discussion with you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks, Holly. <laughs> so Laura, before we wrap this up, I kind of want to talk a little bit about how you suggest to your clients to start seeking other options. So they're reaching out to you for, you know, for help and guidance around fertility, but when do you start, you know, making the suggestion, well, maybe you should try acupuncture or fertility magic medication, or, you know, maybe now it's time to start looking into IVF or I IUI. Yeah. So as a certified coach, you know, we're not really consultants. We're not coming and saying you should do this and you should do that. I definitely wear a bit of both, both hats of a coach and a consultant, but when it comes to making decisions and exploring what the options are, I wear my coach hat. So I'm not saying you should do this because this at this point, you know, unless I ask them, I say, you know what, you know, I've, we've grown that trust. Like I understand them well enough. You know, maybe I would ask them a question more pointed and I would often ask if I can ask that question. Um, but I, it, you know, I, I tease it out, it comes out and it comes within. So it's not something where I'm saying you need to do it because this is the right thing to do. It's because we've come to that natural conclusion because they, you know, they reached that point. So coaching is very empowering about it coming from within. So I know it's hard to describe, but it just kind of happens kind of effortlessly in a coaching session. I don't know if that describes it well enough, but yeah, so there's no one size fits all. It's when it's right. And, and once I get to know a client, um, then I also know if I have a sense too, if that's something we even go, like, do we go there? Um, and sometimes it comes up quicker and sometimes it doesn't come up at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that they would come to you saying to, you know, okay, Laura, I've exhausted all my options. We've come this far. We've been trying for, you know, X amount of cycles. Now, do you think, or would you suggest uh, us going down a different path? And so I guess, you know, when you're saying, you know, you guide your clients, that's kind of how you approach that situation. Exactly. And I have a pretty good sense of all the different options. And so if they're like, lay it on me, what are the options? <laughs> <laughs> Cards on the table. Yeah. I love it. Well, Laura, I feel like I've thrown so many questions your way, but we are going to dip into my rapid 10. So a couple more fertility questions, uh, just, you know, real quick and simple. So let's dive in. Okay. I know what TTC means. And I know that you know what TTC means, but tell our listeners what TTC means. So if you're in the Toronto area, you might be thinking of the, tr the, the transit system. So <laughs> no, it's not that TTC. Um, it is trying to conceive. So trying to get pregnant. Yes. Can a previous or multiple miscarriages affect your fertility? I mean, there's an indication once you get to a certain point. So if you've had one miscarriage, chances are the next one's going to be a healthy one. Um, and it depends on lots of other factors. Um, but yeah, chances are you eventually will have a, a healthy pregnancy if you have had prior miscarriages. Lots of caveats to that, but yes, way more likely that you will than, than you won't, especially when we factor age in. Should you avoid drinking during your two week window? Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I know you'd think I would have just said, yes, avoid it. Um, there are times in there when you're right in there and you know you're at the very beginning 
where evidence says like it's not going to necessarily affect the development of an embryo. Um, but one can say that there's inflammation that might affect the pregnancy uh, or your chances of conceiving. So this is also where there's one, this is one of those ones where I really am talking to the individual. If you really wanna be conservative, just don't. Simple as that. AKA, have a couple drinks, let loose a little <laughs> bit, but don't maybe- Holly maybe said it, Holly said it. <laughs> maybe just have like half that bottle instead of a full bottle <laughs> early on. <laughs> All right. Instead of asking a woman if she's planning on having a baby or starting a family, what's another way to approach this question? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. When it comes to these questions of, yeah, when are you going to give your son a sibling? When is, yeah, when are you going to have a baby? Just don't. <laughs> I just say, don't go there. You just have no idea. They could have just had a miscarriage. You know, maybe they don't want anymore. And this is a, this is a really challenging time in their decision making. There's just so many what ifs that we just don't go there. Have an, ask another question. You know, what did you do today? That's How's right. your day? <laughs> yeah, something yeah. else. I, I was one of those people I would ask. I would easily ask and say, when are you get, you know, you're married. When are you guys starting a family? And when are you going to give so-and-so, you know, a little sibling? And I don't do it anymore. I've learned my lesson. Don't do it. Good answer. And it comes from a good place, right? Like you're coming from yeah. a good place. Yeah. But you don't know what that person's going through, you know, even mustering up the courage to answer that question. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. What is a common, but maybe a little bit weird that we haven't always heard fertility myth? IVF isn't a guarantee. So there's often this idea floating around that, oh, just do IVF and it's a guarantee. Unfortunately, it's not always a guarantee. So you can consider, I think that is, that's a myth. Um, another one is that it's not always a woman's issue. You know, it's, it's often said, oh, you know, which side is the issue? Obviously in our, in my case, it's both of us, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's often forgotten that quite a lot of times it's the, it's the male side, it's male factor or both. Does a low AMH mean bad eggs or just a smaller quantity? So quantity and quality are different. Um, there can be kind of a correlation depending on what the diagnosis is, but no, you want, it's, it's, it's matters most about quality than quantity. What's your favorite fertility podcast, Laura? Ooh, um, let's say beach infertility. That one's a really good one. What are three factors that can affect fertility? Um, Put so you on the spot here. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> three factors. Um, I guess I'm just going to think of the things that are in our control. So smoking would be one thing um, that you can stop doing, hopefully, um, to be able to affect fertility. Um, I'm trying to be optimistic in terms of the things that you can do. <laughs> Obviously, there are like diet changes, um, you know, trying to eat more of a Mediterranean style diet, more whole foods, less processed foods. In general, obviously it's specific to the person. That's something that you can do um, to affect fertility. Honestly, a really easy one is drinking water and staying hydrated. And that goes for both sides. It's something we just think like we do. And it's, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, of course. But it really does help. And it's something that's so simple and easy 
so hydrating. I mean, obviously these are the top three, but these are three things you can do. Yeah, good, good options. All right, Laura, my final hard hitting question. What is one Canadian business or boss babe that you think everyone should know about? Well, okay. So, you know, for any of your listeners who are struggling to get pregnant for their first and they're not in this boat yet, I'm, I apologize because who I'm choosing is um, somebody, a wonderful boss babe. Her name is Priya Chansgard. I actually don't know how to pronounce it. I just realized, um, but she founded um, Edify Learning Spaces. So she provides, um, uh, she, their organization offers one-on-one tutoring, including for kids who are, you know, neurodivergent or have spe special needs, because um, she has two kids herself who do. And she founded the organization and it's very timely in the pandemic. And of course, any time to need support um, for your kids' education. So yes, Edify Learning Spaces by Priya. She's a wonderful boss babe. Ah, oh, great shout out. Well, Laura, let's bring it back to you. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and watch your amazing reels. You kill it at reels there, lady. <laughs> I love watching them. I uh, have fun doing them. <laughs> with that? I have fun doing that. I, I can feel tell. Lovely, but I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's one thing I need to get into more. I'm always just like, how do I like... I just, cause then I, I work from home. I'm like, I have to get ready. I have to get the lighting right. Like, no, I just, you make it seem so easy. Don't think about it. Just do it. That's what I, that's what I say. <laughs> I need that mentality. Okay. So where they can find you on social media, where they can find your website and check you out and, uh, and how they can become a client. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at journeys in fertility. And it's a little bit of a pun there. Obviously not everyone is infertility, but it's your journey in fertility. And you can also find my website at yourfertilitycoach.ca. Feel free to send me an email. It's on my website. Otherwise it's laura at yourfertilitycoach.ca. And there you can book um, a 45 minute call with me or even a 15 minute call with me just for free. If you just want to pick my brains and ask some questions and that's it, that's totally fine. Um, otherwise we can explore working together, see if there's a fit. Um, I do offer sliding scale, especially if finances are an issue. I know, especially if you're going through fertility treatment like IVF, it can be extremely expensive. So I put that out there. If there's that fit, well, we can explore that. Um, I love what I do. And if you're feeling alone, please reach out because yes, you've got me, you've got me. That's amazing. Well, Laura, I, I already feel so connected to you. Like I said, you're, you're so warm, you're so inviting. And uh, yeah, if anyone is struggling with fertility, definitely take advantage of Laura's uh, free call, follow her on social media, you will not be disappointed. And you will also be very entertained. And uh, it's just so relatable. And we need a lot more of that in this world. Well, thank you so much, Holly. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, same here. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We will be back in three weeks with another Boss Babe. So be sure to stick around. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Thank you.